0: Dr. Kamal Manohar, thank you very much indeed for talking to Judge Business School Window on the World podcast series today. Now, I know you've had a look at Kodak and what happened to Kodak when the digital industry technologies came along. Can you tell us a little bit about the, the Kodak story and technological change?
1: Right. Um the Kodak story is one about new mar- the emergence of new markets and how companies then become better and better at milking those markets uh, to the extent that when there's a shift in technology or uh, user behavior, then those companies begin to struggle. So Kodak, of course, dominated its industry, which was photography, for almost a century before digital came along. And um, the, the the lesson in that story is that technological innovations are really nothing if market does not exist for them. And Kodak's big accomplishment was really construction of a market for their technological innovation. Their technological innovation at the turn of the century being um, automatic cameras with which you could take your own pictures. Um, Much to their surprise, when they introduced this innovation in the market, it flopped. People did not want to buy them. They didn't see the reason to take their own pictures. Of course, at that time, photography was also considered to be sort of alchemy, um, where this person had this big mechanical contraption and a black cloth, and they would disappear under the black cloth and you know take some glass slides and take them into a dark room to develop with various um, uh, chemistry, and um, so. Now, Kodak was giving them an easy way to take their own pictures without relying on professionals. People didn't seem to want to do that to the extent that Kodak almost pulled out of that market. Then what they started doing was they started a huge advertising campaign where they gave us the idea of the Kodak moment. So, before there was Kodak, there was no Kodak, or the Kodak moment did not exist in popular imagination.
0: No, because their marketing techniques were actually superb, weren't they? They were a market leader in marketing.
1: Absolutely. So, just to give you two examples of how they constructed this Kodak moment, um, the first one was um, getting women to take pictures. Because when automatic cameras, cameras came out at that time, it was considered quite unladylike for women to use cameras. And Kodak. Uh, ran an elaborate series of ads for a couple of decades really where they encouraged women to take pictures by equating the idea of being a responsible housewife you know with one who keeps a meticulous record of her family's evolution and growth so if you did not preserve all those significant occasions in your family's life like weddings and uh, birthdays and christenings then you didn't care as a mother. So by the 1970s almost 60% of the pictures in the world's largest photography market, the United States, were being taken by women. And this was a dramatic transformation that Kodak had managed. Uh, they essentially bestowed the role of family archivist on women. So in all their ads, it was always the woman who was taking the pictures. And uh, in in this process they developed fantastic capabilities of uh, marketing to women. The other example is how they helped convert the idea of travel into tourism. So travel was all about uh, meeting the unexpected, adventure, going to exotic places, perhaps coming back with some pictures, sharing them. Kodak helped transform it into tourism, which was epitomized by, well, I mean, the big package tours that we see, where the itinerary is worked out to the last second, whereas nothing is left is to chance. And uh, people you m- may have seen, um, busloads of people coming, um, you know, getting down in front of King's College Chapel, getting their pictures taken and and then, you know, shuffling back into the bus and going to the next tourist uh, site.
0: But, but you're almost saying then that Kodak did keep up the, with the market. It was a success. And yet we know when the digital imaging technology came in, Kodak began to flounder.
1: That's right. Um Kodak's reaction was no different from the reaction of many companies who are faced with technological shifts in their industry, because over time, these companies succeed, uh, essentially because they have developed very valuable complementary assets which help them um, milk their technologies. In Kodak's case, the three big complementary assets for them were their brand, which was one of the most recognizable brands in the world and associated with um, high-quality color films and photography and a lot of other things. Um, Then there was their powerful distribution network and their marketing capabilities, uh, especially to women. When digital came along, it was quite um, interesting because, first of all, there was a huge flip in uh, the user profile. From sixty or to seventy percent of the users being women, it flipped to sixty seventy percent of the users being men. And Kodak didn't know how to market cameras to men. And even if you know they they learned how to cam market cameras to men, they had to press very different buttons. Of course, it wasn't about taking domestic pictures and sentimental uh, pictures and you know those uh, memories, memory makers. Um, and v- men took a lot of pictures, but the problem was. You know, since they hadn't really played the role or accepted the role of the family archivist, they never printed any of those pictures. So where was the revenue stream? Uh, So it was, I mean, so in that sense, plus uh, the brand got largely associated with films uh, rather than with digital. And similarly, the distribution network was bypassed by a lot of other people because We bought digital cameras as electronic gadgets rather than specialty uh, photography equipment.
0: So how did they turn the Kodak story around then?
1: Well, they haven't yet. I mean, they have been investing billions of dollars into turning uh, Kodak around, but the jury is still out on whether Kodak can actually manage this uh, transformation or not, because what they need is a new business model. So the business model that they have had traditionally is one of razors and blades. So you give away the razors for free because then you can sell the blades. So the gross margins on film were very high. It was a very, very lucrative industry. Giving that up has been very difficult for Kodak.
0: So are there lessons for other companies undergoing technological change at the moment? Because we are indeed in another technological revolution. If you look at the Internet, too, this kind of story must be pertinent to others, too.
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, Kodak's example is very typical of companies floundering in the face of technological shift. Their first reaction usually is to ignore the technological shift. Um, because, you know, hoping that it would go away if they ignore it. The second reaction usually is to deride it uh, on the basis of existing performance criteria. So in the case of Kodak, for instance, uh, the existing performance criteria were about ease of use, um, cost, um, uh, the the, the um, you know, quality of pictures. So on all these, traditional film did much better And so it was very easy for them to justify why they would continue to exist in in film. This is, I'm talking about the uh, 80s and, uh, you know, until the mid-90s. And um, so, you know, it was easy to deride digital imaging. Not that Kodak did not have technological capabilities, but at the same time, you know, they were searching for a business model. The last is to fight it. So they fought it by introducing first the photo CD and then the advanced photo system, uh, smaller cameras, which essentially sought to prolong the life of film. Um, Finally, when you come around to it, it's generally a bit late. And um, so we saw that in the case of IBM and the PC revolution. We saw that in the case of uh, uh, Kodak. And of course, um, one area where we are seeing it right now, And one that you are, I'm sure, intimately familiar with is the newspaper industry, uh, where once again, there is the internet, which has thrown a spanner uh, in the works, because newspapers were traditionally handed down to us on tablets of stone. So these journalists, these editors, they knew, uh, you know, how it was like, and they told it to us, you know, uh, what it was like. And um, with the internet, suddenly everyone had a voice. And so these bloggers start coming, started coming in, who who were experts in their field, and they started questioning the articles that journalists had written. So what do you do with that? Um, It it. it, Secondly, people started expecting news to be free. So people were not, you know, subscriptions for broadsheet newspapers in this country, at least, started going down, and I think they're still going down, and. um, So how do you switch to a different business model based on the Internet? Because the advertisers were also reluctant to shift uh, to the Internet because they wanted to know who they were advertising to. But as soon as newspapers started asking you who you were on the Internet, people left the site and went to some other site in search of free news. Yes.
0: Well, you seem to be saying that, that if you are a market leader and there is technological change, then what you've got to do is adapt and adapt more quickly than previous industrial models of change and technology have done.
1: That's right. I mean, you have to adapt, but there are different ways in which companies uh, try to adapt. One way is, which is the most common, that they try to hook the new technology into their existing business models, um, searching for a way which will not only let them reap the profits from the new technology, but also Help prolong the life of the existing technology, which is serving them very well. Um, it rarely works out that way so the, the the more useful thing for companies to do is invest invest some equity into startups which will uh, which will be basically pure play um, uh, companies. Which will base themselves on new technologies. So, so why? You,
0: you're creating almost your own competitors.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, and it's the fear of cannib-
0: genius. I would say,
1: <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's the it's the fear of cannibalizing your e- existing products that essentially becomes the undoing of most companies. Most companies would rather have somebody else come and can, uh, take their market share away than do it themselves. So, in
0: a recession. Are these models of change and technology applicable or would a recession probably make people less brave if you like to set up their own competitors and and change and adapt? Because, you know, in a recession, you're in a period of contraction.
1: You are in a period of contraction. But what we see with these new business models, especially those based around the Internet and new technologies, is that it generally does not take very many resources so it's not a question of, you know, us lacking resources. It's a question of us losing our existing mindsets and embracing new ones. So it didn't take YouTube, uh, the, the, starters of, or the founders of YouTube, um, any resources to actually set the site up, which was bought for billions uh, by Google. Um, similarly, it didn't take Mark Zuckerberg, you know, very much money to set up Facebook. Kodak could have owned Facebook. All, Facebook and MySpace are the most popular outlets for pictures. This is, this is the means through which people share their pictures now. So it has everything to do with pictures. How come Kodak is not involved uh, in this? So a lot of these new ventures, they don't actually require too much money and they give you a new, new lifeline when your existing business is contracting in a recession.
0: Are we doomed to failure in the West because we have these these tiger emerging economies which seem to be so good at new technologies, so good at, at, you know, um, pile them high, sell them cheap, adapting to the marketplace, India and China in a way that that we in Britain and Europe and and indeed America can't. The car industry is an example of that.
1: Um, I think we need to make a distinction uh, here, uh, and the distinction is essentially between knowledge-intensive industries and um, low-value-added uh, work like manufacturing. If if we are talking about manufacturing, yes, it's difficult to beat um, the combination that China or India offer of uh, highly skilled workforces and lower wages. But as far as knowledge-intensive industries are concerned, then I think um, it will still take them decades to catch up to the more developed economies, simply because the leading universities we have, the knowledge clusters that we have, um, provide us with an enormous resource. Um, to, to make our knowledge-intensive industries competitive and keep them at the leading edge.
0: So really, we need to talk ourselves up, not down, you know, to see that we can compete rather than everybody else is ahead of us. There is that kind of attitude at the moment, isn't there? You know, the news is all bad, growth is constructing, British companies are doing badly, indeed the British economy is doing badly. It's a kind of negativity that perhaps um, isn't warranted.
1: Yes, Um negativity is certainly not warranted. Some of what is happening is, of course, a reality, but um, and the economy is shrinking and there's there's no uh, way around that. But of course, you know, it's not all bad, because if you want to the the purpose uh, of governments at the end of the day is to make the economy more and more competitive in the sense that, all our people should be engaged in the highest value-added activity that is possible, which means we must continue to move up the value chain. And moving up the value chain is about creating new knowledge. And we still have the resources to create new knowledge and stay um, at, at the leading edge.
0: And so your message in terms of companies and, and governments at the moment in, in a recession would be more optimistic. It would say, you know, be brave, adapt, change and, and look to the future.
1: Absolutely, yes.
0: Kamal Manohar, thank you very much indeed for talking to Judge uh, Window on the World podcast. Sorry, Kamal Manua, thank you very much indeed for talking to Judge Window on the World podcast series today.
1: It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much.